Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. And here we are kicking off hour number two of the show, Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920, coming up at 3.30. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com will join the show, talk about his uh, observations for training camp, also talk about the Hall of Fame coming up next week. We'll be in Canton, Ohio for that, excited about that opportunity. Cliff Branch uh, going to be enshrined forever into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Of course, his family will be there to soak in all of that, and that's fantastic, so we'll talk to Paul about that. But also Richard Seymour. I had a couple people point that out to me, like, hey, let's not forget Richard Seymour. He did some good things at the Silver and Black, and uh, so definitely want to ask him about Seymour as well. And, of course, Paul's been covering the Raiders for a very long time, so we'll pick his brain, all things training camp, and all things uh, Hall of Fame coming up next week. And, you know, the other thing I want to ask him about, and I don't want to put him in a position that's not – comfortable but I want to ask him about the Hall of Fame voters we know one very well John McClain uh, Shereen Williams she's a Hall of Fame voter as well uh, I just want to get his thoughts and JT's brought this up a couple times it really got on my radar when I heard JT say it is if they should start rotating some Hall of Fame voters because I for one believe that Paul should be a guy I think he should be a Hall of Fame uh, voter He's been covering the team for a very long time. Uh, he knows the history of the team. I mean, just been doing that at that level, at a very high level for a very long time. So when you hear about, you know, an Eric Allen not getting uh, the love and getting in like he should, a lot of people I don't think really realize how stinking good Eric Allen really was, right? I mean, he gets up for the hall, and there's there's different cornerbacks uh, that played in his era that always talk about, man, EA, 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 he needs to be in. I don't think a lot of people realize how damn good Eric Allen really was and what he meant to the game of football at that corner position. So we'll talk to Paul about all that coming up at 3.30. But right now I want to hear from you at 702-365-9200. Sam and Ash text line 69187, keyword R&R. You know that's always available. But you can also hit us up on Twitter at R&R 920 AM. That's Radio Nation Radio 920. At your boy Q254 and at Demond underscore the boss. Aaron hit us up by way of Twitter. In the playoff game against the Bengals last year, there was a kickoff play where Peyton Barber grabbed the ball, then stepped out of bounds, instead of stepping out of bounds, then grabbing the ball. Those are the little things that kill the Raiders. And, yes, Aaron, great tweet. That is, those are the difference makers. Instead of starting with the ball at the 20-something or 20-yard 20, 20 line, 25-yard line, you're starting the ball at the 2, right? I mean, you, you have to know the nuances. You have to know what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to have to know the moment. And, yeah, that was a, that was a big deal, and, there's a, and that's just one. That's just one moment that stands out. And, really, I had forgot about it until Aaron brought it up on Twitter, but those are the kind of moments. Those are the self-inflicted wounds that you can't have. Can teams overcome that? Sure, but you shouldn't have to. That's the biggest key. You shouldn't have to try to overcome that kind of thing. You should know the situation and know, hey, I can't do this. I can't, I can't touch the ball right now, then step out of bounds, or else it's going to be our ball right here. Instead, I want to end up at the 25. Got a text on the Salmon Ash text line from Geese Mode. If this was the corporate world and a new management team came in and the only strategy they pushed was just do your job, everyone in the company would be looking around at each other and chuckling, except this management team has proven that the difference between mediocre and championships is holding yourself accountable to the job you've been hired for. 
Imagine that. Raiders holding themselves accountable to the high talent they've had all along. This season is going to be something special. Let's go Raiders. That's from Geese Mode. Again, on the Salmon Ass 69 and 69187, keyword R&R. Times did we have penalties in the red zone last year to make it so much harder to get touchdowns, and they had to settle for field goals. I think this is attention to detail will translate into more touchdowns on offense. Again, that's from East Bay Raider Gray, and yeah, that's the that's the whole point, right? You can't beat yourself. You can't shoot yourself in the foot. If you're there and you're driving and you're putting your will on another team, and maybe it gets the fourth and one, roll the dice, go for it. But you can't go for it when you have a false start and then it's fourth and six. Then you got to settle. That word alone should let you know that it's bad. There's no walk of life that you want to just settle, right? I mean, nothing. You don't want to settle in a relationship. You don't want to settle in a job. You don't want to settle for a certain amount of money. Nobody ever wants to just settle. Settling is always bad. But how many times did the Raiders get into the red zone have a self-inflicted wound, and have to settle for three instead of seven. That's what you can't do. You're not going to win a lot of games, especially in the AFC West, by settling. You're not. And then even on defense, you know, you're getting off the field on third and long, and then, well, you have a penalty that gives the other team a first down, gives them a new life. How many times in that Washington game? Like in that Washington game, the Raiders beat themselves. I still to this day do not believe the Washington football team beat the Raiders on that day. The Raiders beat themselves on that game. Too many penalties, too much, too many field goals, dropped interceptions. All those are fundamental dotting the I's, crossing the T's. 702-365-9200, want to hear from you. Raider Mac, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, brother? Hey, Q. Um, how you guys doing today? I kind of disagree with you on the, mem- uh, on the, the penalties. Um, we, we've been penalized for, forever. I mean, I, and I know it ain't every coach that they came in has not changed it. So, I mean, it's going back since John Madden days. We've been, been penned. And I agree with you. It's going to kill it down in the red zone in different areas because it does change the momentum. But what, what I do, what I do know is that we, the, the thing with the Raiders on as far as the penalties is that some days, they, they have no penalties, and then they go to a game and they have 17 penalties or 15 penalties. So right. it's, it's an up-and-down situation. And as far as players, um, I, well, let's get to Derek Carr. As far as Derek Carr, his biggest problem in the, in the pocket, why he fumbles so much, is because he, he, he he's not aware like that and, he, and he's holding the ball too long. You're saying that, you and I didn't like that you guys said that Deshaun Jackson was was going all over the place. There's a lot of receivers that do that. When 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 the pr- the play breaks down, you have to get open. But my thing with Derek Carr, he doesn't throw it. That's the difference between an elite quarterback and a great quarterback. The elite quarterback throw when you're not open because this is the NFL. You only open for a few seconds. Sometimes you may not be open. So that's what I have to say. I'll let you go on that. All right. Hey, great call. Appreciate it. And okay, you're right. Sometimes you have to throw a wide receiver open. I'm not talking about throwing him open. I'm talking about throwing him to where he's supposed to be or, or a guy is supposed to be there. And there's too many times where wide receivers were freelancing and not going to where they're supposed to be, running the route correctly. That's all I'm talking about. Yeah, a quarterback has to throw a wide receiver open. This is the NFL. You're absolutely right. 
But in Deshaun Jackson's point, let me go back to Deshaun Jackson since you brought him up. I said that he didn't throw it to him because he was out there freelancing. That's exa- that was the problem. He, he didn't know the, the, the playbook. I, I mean, I know that for a, a, a fact. He didn't know the playbook. He was out there freelancing, and that's not going to work. You know, that, that's the problem. I'm not, I agree with you when it comes to holding on to the ball too, more, too long or holding the ball too low. You've got to be aware, pocket awareness. That also goes back to what? Fundamentals. I mean, we're, we're all on the same page here. We're, we're all on the same page. We're just clarifying. If you're not running the route that you're supposed to, yeah, things are going to happen. You're not going to be open. Sometimes you have to have a scramble drill. Sometimes you have to, you know, play a little backyard football. I, I don't disagree with that at all. But Derek's not going to throw the ball, as we all have learned. He's not going to throw the ball to a guy that he doesn't believe is going to be where he's supposed to be. I'm not saying that you're always going to be there, but if he knows and trusts, and that trust is going on right now, he's building that trust right now in training camp. Just like a year ago, he did that with Henry Ruggs. Remember how much trust he built in him, and all of a sudden you saw him th- slinging the ball to him all the time. He's building that right now with the wide receivers. He already has it with Devontae because he, he, he's familiar with them. He goes back to college and in, in the offseason throwing with them, so he knows that he understands what he's supposed to do. So that, that's, the, that's all I'm saying. So I'm on the same page with you. I'm just clarifying it a little bit differently. Slow Jam James, you're up next. What's on your mind? Welcome to the show. My man, what's going on with you? Oh, you know I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed. <laughs> as, as you should be. So, um, listen, I, I, I like what Passionate had to say when it came to turnovers, and I see that the conversation is now going over to the penalties, and um, I'm kind of on that same page to where a lot of the things can be corrected um, on the field with this new coaching staff when it comes to those pre-snap penalties, when it yes. comes to – the jumping off sides when it comes to the false starts and you know you see that players are holding themselves accountable in practice by doing the laps and everything and um and trying to clean all that stuff up uh the other thing with the penalties though and uh, uh mo moton i guess he's a guy that you've had on your show a few times yeah. and, and a very respected journalist um he made a great point he said that you know the the penalties that are not pre-snap you know you kind of have to and I'm paraphrasing here, but you kind of have to work with the refs that you have on the field on that certain that certain game. Like some refs call holding light, yep. some call them loose. Yep. You have to kind of game plan towards that. It's almost like you're not playing a second competitor, but you're game planning against a certain set of referees. Right. But when it comes to pre-snap penalties, that's on you. That's not the referees. That's all on you. So I think if they can clean those things up, and I think the coaching staff is doing a great job of that, and I think the uh, the players are holding themselves accountable for that. I think that's going to help clean up a lot of things. Yeah, I, I do too. And thank you for the call. And, and I'm sorry, I'm going back to Raider Max call. I forgot to mention the, the the penalties we were talking about Carr and throwing wide receivers open. But yeah, that's the penalties that I'm talking about. I, again, the Raiders have a reputation. We all know that, right? We've been watching the Raiders long enough. We know that those silver and black uniforms they're going to draw a flag anyway. They're already looking to throw a flag. But don't give them more reason. And again, going back to the pre-snap penalties, those are 100% on you. That has nothing to do with the guy in stripes that has it out for the Raiders. That, you cannot say that. You can't. By having a false start, that means you're not holding your water and you're not, and you know the snap count. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that's what I'm really talking about. You know, and, and that's why 
guys are taking laps when they have a false start in practice. And it's funny, I, I looked over at Paul today, and he'll tell you, I mean, I have no reason to lie to anybody. I looked over at Paul today when Jermaine Illuminor uh, had a false start, and I said, hell, it looked like the whole offensive line had a false start. I'd make all of them run. Because even if it's not – and this is the reason why. Even if it's not on – like, DeMond, say it's my fault, but me and you both are running, you're going to be pissed off because you're running because of something I did, right? So you're going to get back and be like, hey, Q, hold your water. Don't have a false start. Make sure you're paying attention. Hey, man, this, this ain't okay. But I get that they don't want to stop practice and make the whole, you know, the whole line run or whatever, or whoever, whoever the, you know, the, whatever unit that is. But you want to talk about accountability – that would really be some accountability, right? And, again, like I said, I understand why they don't do it. But if the players next to each other – and, DeMond, you do it all the time, right? You say it all the time when we're doing stuff at the job. Like, wait, hold on. This ain't my job. We need to, we need to tell whoever's job it is that they need to be doing it. But you do it because it's for the good of the team. But at the same time, you're like, hey, Jack, look, I covered <laughs> your ass today. But I don't want to have to cover your ass tomorrow, right? So Yo, you, yes, yes. And that, that, that's accountability. You got to get on them. And that's what this coaching staff, to my opinion, is teaching within the first, what, seven days that they've been in camp and second day in pads. Let's go out to Bessemer Raider. He joins us now on the phone lines on Necessary Roughness. Bessemer, what's on your mind, brother? Hey, what's going on, Q, man? Great show. Uh, tune in all the time when we're here in Colorado. Nice. We're in the sorry Bronco country, representing the nation, keeping it down. Hey, man, I got, I got a question for you uh, in regard to training camp. Uh, and I remember when we were in Oakland, uh, we'd always go to Napa. Yeah. Now that we're in Vegas, are the guys staying at home or are they sequestering in a hotel? And, you know, what do you think uh, being away from family and your regular life for a few weeks, do you think that's a benefit or a, or a detriment to a, a team getting prepared for the season? Hey, thank, thank you for the call, my man. I appreciate you. And, you know, to be 100% honest, I, I couldn't answer that, that question with uh, 100% like being sure. Now, I'll say this. I mean, I see the buses riding into the facility every day. So, but I also see all the cars in the parking lot that are the, team, you know, the players' cars. I would think, and this is a, a question for a player, uh, that they're probably staying at the M, the M Resort, as they would in training camp if they were in Napa. That would be my guess. But I'm not, I'm not even going to lie to you and act like I'm 100% sure. I, I don't know. You know. And you know what? We'll ask Paul if he knows. Paul's coming up at 3.30. We'll ask him if he has any idea. I, I just think, again, this is off the top of my head, I would think that they're staying at, at uh, the M Resort, which is right down the street from the facility, just to get that team camaraderie-type feel. But I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> so I don't want to answer that and be like, yes, this is what's going on. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that that's how it should be. But, again, you're right here in town, so I understand if you're not, if they're not, if they're just going home every day and doing what they're supposed to do each, each and every day at home. So, uh, again, that's something that we'll ask when we talk to Paul Gutierrez from ESPN coming up at 3.30. So we're getting a ton of feedback, man. We've been getting a ton of feedback on this subject, and I, I do appreciate you at uh, 702-365-9200-69187, keyword R&R. I got a tweet that I, uh, that I wanted to – I wonder – oh, I wanted to speak on this other tweet that, that I sent out earlier today. It was a scramble drill at the very beginning of the practice, and it got a lot of traction. I think Cassie Soto sent out a tweet as well with the, the scramble drill. It was not meant to – the throw is not meant to matter. The catch is not meant to matter. It's just a drill of 
the quarterback, whatever quarterback it was. In this case, it was Derek Carr, uh, you know, just kind of rolling around, you know, trying to keep play alive, roll to the right, roll to the left, this and that. And, you know, basically Josh McDaniels is directing traffic. And in one of those plays, Malcolm Koontz got in the way. And you heard Josh McDaniels pretty adamantly get out of the blanket way, you know, get out of the way, Koontz, get out, you know, because he's messing up the drill, which is, again, it's just something that is a teaching moment. So uh, that's the kind of things that have been standing out to me as far as practice goes, a lot of teaching moments are going on. And so that was one of them as well, where it's like, hey, this is what we're working on. This is trying to get that muscle memory into whatever quarterback. If it's D.C., if it's Jared Stidham, if it's uh, Garbers out there, if it's Nick Mullins, it doesn't matter. Whatever guy is behind center, they're trying to get these muscle memory. And they're doing that with every single position. Tight ends on offensive lineman drills. I mean, just all kind of different drills. They're trying to make sure something is embedded in their brain when they leave training camp that day so uh good stuff thank you for all that feedback we definitely appreciate you 317 is the time come back want to hear a couple clips before we get to paul from kyler murray and what he had to say today to the arizona cardinals media as far as uh his contract and his work ethic and all that stuff we talked about quite a bit here on the show we'll do that we'll get to a couple more calls and texts this is radio nation radio 920 welcome back to unnecessary roughness here on raider nation radio 920 here's your boy q Coming up in just a few minutes, we'll have Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com. He'll join the show to talk all things training camp, talk about the Hall of Fame, and a lot more. Can't wait to talk to Paul coming up at 3.30. But right now, I want to kind of uh, shift our attention, you know, a little cover three action here, and we're really going to just talk about Kyler Murray. Uh, he's been a, a talk of a lot of conversations that we've had even here on the show, just with the contract that he signed, the $160 million guaranteed contract that he received, and knowing – that there is a clause in his contract where he has to study for at least four hours a week, which should be a no-brainer, right? That should be a no-brainer where you don't have to write that in the contract. But the Cardinals felt like they did. And not only did they feel like they had to put that in the contract, they felt like they had to let it be known. Because honestly, none of us should know that that's even in there. There could be things in contracts that we know nothing about and we shouldn't. We don't need to know. I say that to people all the time. Like, There's a lot of things I don't need to know. I don't need to know what's in your contract, but since they put it out there, I know. So he decided today was not a day he was going to talk to the media, but today he decided, hey, you know what? There's been a lot of chatter. There's been a lot of conversation about my work ethic. I'm going to go ahead and address the media, and I respect him for it, but I think that his energy and his attention is focused on the wrong people. The media did not put that clause in his contract. The Cardinals put that clause in his contract, but this is how – Kyler Murray started off the media session today. Today, I'm starting off. I'm talking today because um, you know I feel uh, it's necessary. You know, um, with what's going on as far as regarding me and, and the things that are being said about me, um, it's it's almost you know to think that I can accomplish everything that I've accomplished in my career um, and not be a student of the game and not. Um, not not have that passion and not not take this serious is is almost it's disrespectful and it's it's almost it's it's almost a joke you know um it's to me it's um i'm flattered you know i'm, I'm honestly flattered that y'all think that at my size i can go out there and not prepare for the game and not um you know not take it serious it's it's it's, it's disrespectful i feel like to my peers to all the to all the, the great athletes and great players that are in this league, um, this game's too hard. Uh, to, to play the position that I play in this league, um, 
it's 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 too hard. So there's Kyler Murray. That's how he started off his his presser uh, today, talking about you know how it's so hard to play the game if he's not preparing. And I don't think anyone thinks he's not preparing. I just don't think he's preparing enough. And I don't. I'm not saying from my point of view. I'm saying from the team's point of view because if he was, I don't think they'd be putting that in his contract. I don't know. I'm just me. I'm just I'm just reading between the lines. But you can hear that it obviously means something. I don't know who got in his ear and said he needs to go out there and make a statement, but he did. And again, I respect that. You know, it's just it's something that if I'm him, like he said, it's it's somewhat disrespectful. I'd feel disrespected if I had to even have that in my contract. So Kyler goes on to speak about the disrespect in the whole situation. And I don't do this often, I don't talk about myself, but today I feel like I have to. And so I'm a list of accolades, you know, to go 43 and 0 in high school in Texas. Um, some are going to say, "Oh, it's high school. That's cool," but nobody else has done it. Um, go to college, win the Heisman, um, get drafted number one overall to the NFL, get drafted number nine overall to MLB. Again, no one's ever done it. Um, offensive Rookie of the Year, two-time Pro Bowler, um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not six seven, two two thirty. I don't throw the ball 85 yards. Um, I'm I'm already behind the eight ball, uh, and I can't you know I can't afford to take any shortcuts. No pun intended, but you know th- those are those those things you can't accomplish if you don't take the game serious, if you don't prepare the right way, and you know it, it's like I said it's, it's laughable, um, but to the to the film side of things, um, there's multiple different ways to to you know to watch film. Um, there's many different ways to process the game. There's many different ways quarterbacks learn the game and break the game down. Uh, of course, I watch film by myself. That's that's a given. That doesn't even need to be said. Um, but I do enjoy and love the process of watching the game with my guys, the quarterbacks, my coaches. Um, you know, that's and I think you can ask any quarterback around the league. You know, the camaraderie in that room, um, the the passion that goes into it. Every man in that room has a job. Every man contributes in, in you know in, in different ways. And like I said, I think every player that has played the game, no matter the position, understands what I'm saying right now as far as. Uh, everybody in you know your perspective or your your room uh, having a job and contributing you know uh, so again reiterate that you know there's multiple different ways to watch film and you know of course we all watch film. There's Kyler Murray. He brought his resume out, baby. He brought his resume out. Forty three and zero in high school. And look, I've been a believer since he did that in high school. And I don't give a damn if it's high school or not. Texas high school football is not for everybody. All right, it is cut differently. I've been saying Kyler Murray is a winner since since he did that in high school, since he went to A&M, since he transferred to go to Oklahoma, since he went number nine overall in the MLB uh, draft, when, since he went number one, won the Heisman Trophy. I mean, all that. I, I Hey, man, I give him all the accolades in the world. Give him all the credit in the world because he's done that, and he has been behind the eight ball for most of his career. But I also say the Cardinals put that in your contract, not the media. We didn't put that in your contract. We're just looking at it like, hmm, damn, okay. That tells you all you need to know. And, again, on top of that, they put it out there. I'm not doubting the brother. He's a damn good player. He's been a damn good player for a long time. Not saying that he's not a good player. Just saying they put it out there for a reason. Final sound bite from Kyler Murray. Question. Um, but, it's again, I, you know, I, I refuse to, to let my work ethic, my preparation be um, being questioned. You know, I've put an incomprehensible amount of uh, time and, and – blood, sweat, tears, and work into what I do, uh, whether, whether it's football or baseball. You know, people can't even comprehend the amount of time that it takes to, to do two sports at a high level in college, you know, let alone do it, you know, be the first person to do it ever at, at my size. It's, like I said, this is, um, 
it's funny, but I, you know, to, to those of you out there that believe that I'd be standing here today in front of y'all without having a work ethic and without preparing, I'm, I'm honored that you think that. But um, it it doesn't exist. It's not it's not possible. It's not possible. So um, that's all I have on that. If y'all want to talk about football or um, anything else, um, like I said, if you want to talk about football, we can talk about football. There you go. And I thought that was a great question. Not disrespectful, but a great question. Well, why did the team put that in that contract? And I've said this about myself. I don't have to be the most talented dude in the world. I know I'm not the most talented dude in the world, but I will never, ever have my work ethic question. No one will ever say, I don't think that dude works hard enough. And so for someone, and I understand where Kyler Murray's coming from, for anyone to question his work ethic, if it makes him feel disrespected. I wouldn't want my work ethic question either. Obviously, $160 million guaranteed is a lot of money, so they want to protect themselves. I get that. That's smart. That's smart business trying to protect yourself. It just tells you a lot when they feel like they have to put that in their contract, or maybe they feel like that that's their out. I don't know. But shout out to Kyler Murray for coming out and you know giving a three-minute, four-minute statement on exactly how he felt about the situation. I'm not mad at him at all for that. I just hope that he goes to the Cardinals organization, and maybe he did it before he signed the contract and said, Hey, man, this is totally unnecessary. You know, again, I understand why he signed it because who's not going to sign that big, fat contract like that? That's a whole lot of money to say, yeah, I want to sign it, but not until you get this out of there. I think I'll just <laughs> work my way around it. <laughs> like, hey, wait a minute, hold on. This is going to uh, this is gonna, this, this is gonna work. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out how to make this work. So uh, there you go. There's Kyler Murray. Right now, uh, we're expecting to have Paul Gutierrez from ESPN join us uh, to talk all things training camp, to talk all things Hall of Fame, what his expectations are next week. And, man, I'm, I'm really excited about next week. I, I really am. It's unfortunate that we found out yesterday that both Lester Hayes and Amy Trask didn't uh, make the, the finalist list for the 2023 Pro Football Hall of Fame. I was really pulling for Lester. Really thought that he, you know, should have got in. And I thought he had a really good shot. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I know when, when uh, we talked to John McClain a couple weeks ago about it, I know it didn't sound great, but then he said there was multiple, uh, multiple spots, so I said, okay, well, that makes me feel a little bit better about the situation, but unfortunately for Lester, uh, not going to be going in, uh, at least in 2023. Hopefully he gets his shot the next time around, but uh, a, a guy that is a hell of a player, so we'll definitely ask uh, Paul about that. And right now, joining us on the phone lines from ESPN is our good friend, Paul Gutierrez. And, Paul, thanks so much for your time, my man. I appreciate you. And I was just talking about the Hall of Fame and how, unfortunately, we found out Lester Hayes, Amy Trask, they didn't make the finalist list moving forward. And, and really just focusing on Lester Hayes, man, I just felt I feel bad for him because it's, it's unfortunate. I think he's a guy that deserves his place in Canton. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Lester not making the cut? Yeah, you know, thanks for having me, too. It's interesting with Lester. Uh, you know, I've talked to him in the past before, and, and, and he always, in a, in a strange way, he's done a lot of math about it and seems to think that he'll be like in the year 2030, 2032, 2034. <laughs> I don't know how many times you've talked to him, but he, he's got a unique um, perspective on things, and, and he looks at the way the voting goes. Uh, he sees the, the way the cycle is, and, and you know, he, he believes that, that his time will come. I haven't talked to him this time about him not being on, on uh, the list after being uh, on the semifinalist, but, uh, you know, it, it is unfortunate. I mean, when, when you look at, at how the Hall of Fame does things and, and the players that get in, um, you know, was he one of those players that you, you have to talk about when you, when you write the history of the NFL? I believe so. I mean, his season in 1980 was so dominant, uh, stick him or not. 
uh, you know, it's it's just really unfortunate that he's not able to get in right now. But at the same time, I don't think he was really expecting it to happen right this early either. Well, that, I mean, that's that's a positive. If he if he wasn't expecting it, and I, I love the fact that you said how he has a little bit of a timeline of when he expects to get in. You know, Paul JT brought this up before, and I wanted to ask you your thoughts on it because you've been covering the team and covering sports in general for a very long time at a very high level. He always says that he feels like the Hall of Fame voters should be kind of rotated, you know, and, and kind of uh, some fresh eyes and some fresh blood be put in there. And he suggested you multiple times that you should be in there, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. What are your thoughts on just you know, having some fresh blood in there uh, as, as voters for the Hall of Fame. Well, it's interesting because I, I do vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame based on my past. Like you mentioned, I've been, I've been covering sports in general for a long time, which means that I'm old. <laughs> you know, Me too, so, brother. Me but, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I, you know, I do vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame. And to me, that is the most fair, uh, crystal clear way that they do it. They basically they give us a ballot with like 30 names on it. And you vote for up to 10 people and you turn it in and, and more times than not, people want their vote made public, and, and there's, there's, you know, you kind of answer for it. Uh, the way the Pro Football Hall of Fame goes, it's interesting, you know. And, and I know a lot of the voters, and I've yeah. written countless stories uh, on on the process. And I, I do believe that it's improved a little bit. But you know, when I first started covering this, you know, ten, twelve, fifteen years ago, um, it, it just really harkened like a back room, smoke filled, guys and, and, and the women and whoever were voting in there making these deals with each other. Well, I don't really think that this guy needs to be in, but I, you know, I'm supporting my candidate, so I'll vote for you if you vote for me. It's just one of those strange things. So, um, and, and, and really, the voters don't even, at, to this point, don't even really know who got in right. uh, themselves because it's such a strange, strange process that um, you know, it does need some reworking, I believe. But I do appreciate that, especially on these veterans committees and the, these different uh, pools that come out now, I mean, they're going to have up to three guys or women or whatever it may be get in on the senior ballot this year. So they're opening it up. They realize there's a bottleneck. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that, that Ken Stabler and, and Cliff Branch weren't alive to enjoy it. But but how great was it to see Tom Flores get yes. there to enjoy it when you look at it and you say, okay, well, how did Tony Dungy get in before Tom Flores? Right. You know, they're basically the same guy, mm-hmm. uh, except Tom has multiple <laughs> Super Bowl rings to his name. So it's it's... It's a topic that we can go back and forth on. I don't think that there's bad people voting on it, but the process does need to be adjusted a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah, it feels like the process is a little bit flawed. Again, we're talking with Paul Gutierrez right now from ESPN.com here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. So you mentioned Cliff Branch. We'll be there next week. I'm excited, pumped up about it. I know the owner, Mark Davis, is is fired up to see his best friend go into uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, even though he's not there. His family will be there. You wrote a great piece on Cliff on ESPN.com. What is your expectations for next week for the celebration for Cliff? It's, it's the epitome of bittersweet, right? I mean, in talking with Mark Davis over the years, I mean, that was his best friend. Uh, they were roommates. Uh, Mark served as his agent. Uh, went into negotiations for Cliff on behalf of Cliff against his dad, and as Mark told me way back when, he got kicked out of the house, and then Cliff caught a couple touchdowns in Super Bowl fifteen, and then he was back in the family. So <laughs> it's the culmination of a lot of personal, uh, a lot of obviously professional uh, goals that were set and accomplished. And to me, again, just the epitome of bittersweet. Having talked to his sister Elaine, who runs his estate, uh, his nephew, who runs his Twitter uh, profile, it's it's uh, something to be very excited and happy for. But at the same time, it's like, man, you just wish that Cliff could be there to enjoy it. And, and I knew Cliff well enough that you know he was one of my main guys on sources for for stories when I was doing like throwback type stories or 
you know, hey, Cliff, you, you were on the field for the Holy Roller. What do you remember? Yeah. Hey, Cliff, you, you know, you caught that 99-yard touchdown pass. What happened? It's it just, it's still strange to think that he's not here anymore because he was one of those guys that would send you just the random text, whether it was Father's Day, birthday, Christmas, whatever it was. And the last text exchange I had with him was on his birthday, two days before he passed away. And I still look at that text chain every now and again, just like, man, it's just the epitome of bittersweet. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine, man, and that's a hell of a story right there. And it's funny, I only did one interview with Cliff Branch in my whole career, and it was, you know, him feeling like guys that were Raiders, you know, kind of take a little bit longer to get into the hall. And he said, I know I deserve to be in there, but because of, you know, the the battles with Al and and just the Raiders in itself, he felt like it was a little bit of a, you know, a slight. And I think that uh, sometime next week I'll probably play that interview. Uh, It wasn't a very good interview on my part, but it was great to hear Cliff. (laughs) I mean, he just, to me, Paul, he was a great storyteller and just really, uh, you know, let you know what it meant to be a Raider. And, and you know, he, when he lost his home in the Santa Rosa firestorm in 2017, uh, Cliff told me himself at the time that he was watching actually the playback of the, the Raiders and Ravens game from earlier that day in Oakland. And he gets a call from his agent on the phone. Hey, take a look outside. I hear there's a fire in your neighborhood. He looks and the fire is racing down the street. He uh, only had time to grab like, some money out of his safe, a couple Super Bowl rings, and got in his car and took off. And uh, as he and Mark Davis told me later, he had enough memorabilia in his house that was lost in the fire that could have furnished a team museum. Wow. So, and yet, a couple days later, there Cliff is in Las Vegas comforting victims of the shooting in Las Vegas. And that just, to me, spoke to the volume of what he meant to not only to Mark Davis and the organization, but to Raider fans as well and just the type of guy that he was. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember when Mark Davis told us that story at Allegiant Stadium when uh, Sandra Douglas Morgan was announced as a team president. It kind of it got him choked up, and it, it, it's understandable why anyone would get choked up telling that story right there. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's another guy going into the Hall of Fame that spent some time with the Silver and Black, and I actually had this pointed out to me yesterday, like, Q, Richard Seymour was really good. I mean, he was really good for the, the Raiders. We kind of gloss over it because all I'm focusing on is Cliff for every reason we've talked about, but – what did Richard Seymour mean to the Raiders? He was the best player on a lot of bad teams, no yeah. doubt. He and he and Nandi Asamoah, uh, you know, and, and he was appointment type viewing. You knew when he was on the field, you wanted to watch and see what Big Big C was going to do, so to speak. And <laughs> and to me, it, it, it's funny, or I'm not trying to be as flippant as possible, but the most impressive thing I saw from him ever was the open hand palm strike <laughs> to Ben Roethlisberger's face that yep. uh, not dropped him. Like, dropped yep. it like a bad habit. Boom. Because he was standing right in front of him and just you saw the power in that quick little palm strike. And I'm not advocating violence or advocating advocating against anybody else. But it was interesting to see that in, in real time because he just dropped him like that and, uh, you know, got himself kicked out of the game. But, like I said, just a, a very dominant type player who was uh, the best player on a lot of bad Raider teams but uh, still got his Pro Bowl accolades, still got his roses thrown at him. And he just kind of went from there. And, and when he first got to the Raiders, I don't think he really wanted to be there at first. But right. he also said, I'm going to be the guy on top of number 17 when you, when, when you see me. And sure enough, there he was uh, making life miserable for Phillip Rivers on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I don't think he wanted to be there either. I remember it took him a while to even report. But once he yeah. got there, he, he was all in, right? And, and even in the one thing that stood out to me the most, and this was pointed out to me again, this is not off the top of my head, is when the lockout was here. And he had uh, or him and Jason Campbell organized the, the workouts in Atlanta, and he actually paid for the facilities and everything. So he wanted to make sure the guys were working, even though the lockout was going on. I thought that was really big for a guy who, like you said at the beginning, really didn't even want to be a Raider. 
And then on top of that, there'd be, I, I don't remember if it was every training camp, but there's one specific where he showed up to Napa, uh, and he was on the rookie bus. So the joke was that the bus must have pulled over when it got off the freeway, and he jumped on. <laughs> but no, he was there when the bus pulled into the Mar- Marriott parking lot, and, and there he was. So, again, you're right. I mean, you don't think of Richard Seymour as being a Raider. You think of him as being a Patriot, so to speak. And in baseball, he'd probably be wearing a Patriots baseball hat, if you know what I'm saying. But, but no, he was, he's, he's definitely one of these guys, and the Raiders claim all of their guys. So they're, they're creeping up on 30 Hall of Famers now that they're, that they're claiming. Um, so, you know, he was there longer than, say, uh, Ronnie Lott or Eric Dickerson were, and right. they still claim them. And so you go from there, and, and you just you look back on it, and you think, okay, well, this guy was a special player, and uh, obviously because he's a Hall of Famer. Right, absolutely. Again, we're talking with Paul Gutierrez right now on uh, Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. Wanted to ask you about current training camp. I mean, that's that's what we're there at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. Uh, we're there every single day. Uh, I've been talking and emphasizing a lot on the show today about teaching as opposed to just coaching. Uh, what have you seen from these coaches so far as they're laying down the fundamentals with these players early on in camp? Well, it's interesting because you, you see a lot of reports and you hear a lot of talk about how you know much more physical it is and, and they're making a big deal about accountability and guys running laps. And yet, at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about because, yeah, this is a playoff team. This is a team that just went to the postseason for only the second time in 20 years. And they do have uh, a veteran core cast that they're pro bowlers and are, are, are on, or re- team record setters. Mm-hmm. But everything is brand new. Uh, from the coaching staff to the rookies to all of the former Patriots that they brought in uh, to the front office. Everything is new. So, you know, it's kind of a blessing in disguise, I think, that they got this extra game right. uh, because they're able to report a week earlier. And when you see the, the teaching going on, and, and I'm not sure if you talked about this yet or not, probably, but to see Josh McDaniels go off uh, because somebody blew up the uh, – the, uh, Oh, yeah, the play early, yeah, the scramble drill, yep. The scramble drill, and I'm thinking, I can't remember the name, number 51. Why can't I remember his name right now? Koontz, Malcolm Koontz. Yeah, Malcolm Koontz, yeah. You know, to go after Malcolm Koontz, and you think, okay, well, what's that about? Okay, well, the play, the purpose of the drill wasn't for the defense to get through. It was for the offense to get its timing down. And there are times, I think, when, ooh, that catch is spectacular. Ooh, what about that play? Well, they're supposed to make that because they're pros, but they're also getting this time in training camp to see what it feels like, to see what success feels like. And I think, you know, based off your question to Josh this morning uh, and the answer he gave you, <laughs> it, it just kind of crystallized itself right there. You know, they, to be able to win, first you got to learn how to not lose. And there's all kinds of, like, funny quotes through the years that I've covered this team, from Tom Cable's, we're not losers anymore, <laughs> to, you know, Tony Sperano basically saying the same thing as, as Josh did this morning. But for a new regime, a new day, a new training camp, a new space, everything else that comes in, that's where it starts. And that, to me, is it, it's been Groundhog Day, no doubt, but that's what training camp is supposed to be about. Right. I agree 100%. I feel like there's a lot of, of learning going on right now. Has there been anyone who stood out to you from what you've been able to see? Uh, you know, simply because I've paid more, more attention to the offensive line because I really want to know what that's going to happen. You add all these crown jewels, you know, outside, right. whether it's Devontae Adams or – or you pay Hunter Renfro, or you're about to pay Darren Waller, and you got Derek Carr getting the extension. None of it matters if the offensive line can't hold up. So what it's been interesting to me is see Lester Cotton kind of grabbing and taking that starting right guard spot. Now, does that mean he's won the job yet? No. But to me, Denzel Good was the key to the entire thing, because if he was able to come back, that solidifies it. It allows Alex Leatherwood to relax and take over right tackle, blah, blah, blah. But Lester Cotton, to me, has been kind of the constant because he seems like he just grabbed that 
and you go from there. You look at how big he is and the type of road grader is. He reminds me a little bit of Gabe Jackson in terms of being that road grader at guard where guys are just don't want to go up against that. So he's the guy that's really stood out to me a lot, and that's not sexy, I know. Right. That's the offensive line, but to me that's where games are won and lost. No, it is. I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, if the offensive line, if someone can step up and all of a sudden be that dude, that's a plus, and that'll make all the sexy guys around him yes. that much better. How about, speaking of sexy, how about uh, how about T. Billy? You know, everyone's talking about T. Yeah. Billy. We see him get up and down the field. We see him with the one-leg sleeve and the one uh, leg exposed. I mean, what have you thought about T. Billy so far? Uh, overheard at training camp, somebody said, hey, who invited Florence Griffith Joner? Who, who invited Flo <laughs> Joe? <laughs> <Flo Joe>. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? And I looked up and said, oh, oh, okay, yeah, no, he's he's opened some eyes, too, simply for being that guy that can take the, the top off of defense. We know what Devontae Adams can do, right? But he's not a speedster, so to speak. He is just so smooth when he's out there. And that, that sideline toe-tap catch he had today, which, again, in a real situation, wouldn't have happened because Derek was flush from the pocket and the DB gave up on the ball. But they've got to get that timing down, and it was a beautiful catch. It but, really was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you look at what, what T. Billy's doing out there, <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting because he's just so fast. And you see that number one, and it's like, oh, okay, well, that's a strange number. Uh, not, not anymore. I mean, it's, it's one of those fun numbers that you see when you see that guy fly by. And when we're standing on the sidelines and when you see him walk by, he's not a little dude. He, no. He's pretty big, and he's put together pretty well. So you put the, all that together and – and, and if he is a legitimate threat to take the top, top off the defense, imagine what that opens up underneath, and especially for guys like Devontae, Hunter, uh, Darren Waller, and even running backs coming out catching passes in the flat. It's going to be interesting. It really will. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. What are you writing on that we need to be uh, looking out for? You know, I'm trying to dive into just exactly what makes Denzel Perriman tick as nice. far as being a leader. I mean, it's 112 degrees out there, and he's wearing a beanie. You know, I'm trying to catch his mind to show him that I'm hydrating when I'm on the sidelines, too. So he's a real interesting cat because he's just got a certain swag to him. And, and again, yeah, probably deserving of another deal, too, because he's entering the last year of his contract. So I want to do a deep dive on him. Okay, well, we'll be on the lookout for it. He actually came and dapped us up today when they, they went out of the cold box. He was uh, su- sucking on one of those Pedialyte pops, and they were all <laughs> trying to stay hydrated. As he always says, stay hydrated. Yeah. He came and dapped us up on the sidelines. So, uh, yeah, Denzel Perryman, he's definitely a different dude, but uh, a hell of a player. So, uh, good stuff, Paul. Well, well, we'll see you. Obviously, we'll see you tomorrow. But or, Yeah, tomorrow. No, tomorrow we're off. <laughs> I'm losing track of days, too, man. I don't even know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. I'm going to take a nap or go to the gym either way. Maybe I'll take a nap at the gym. There you go. We'll see you on Saturday. We'll see you on Saturday, brother. <laughs> All right, man. I'll see you then. Take care. All right, there he goes. Paul Gutierrez. Man, tomorrow's off day. I just, hey, man, I'm about to do a backflip. Oh, my goodness. Tomorrow's Friday. There ain't no there ain't no practice tomorrow. Let's go. <laughs> I got so fired up, I couldn't tell you what to do with yourself, man. I'm, oh, man. That's awesome. That's why my days are all messed up because we've been at practice. I feel, I say, I say we have an off day like we're out there practicing. We ain't practicing, but man, we are off. So I'm excited about that. 348 the time. We'll come back, close out hour number two. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Many thanks to Paul Gutierrez from ESPN just joined us. Really, we went in detail, deep detail, about the Hall of Fame. And a guy that's been covering the Raiders as long as Paul has, I think that that's a very appropriate conversation, knowing what's going to be happening next week. So uh, as much as we want to talk about training camp and what's going on and deep dive into that, 
Uh, we'll be talking to Vinny in a few minutes at 4 o'clock, so we can also you know, talk to him about training camp. But uh, I think the, the knowledge that, that Paul brings, talking about the Hall of Fame, talking about Cliff Branch, talking about Richard Seymour, what it means to be a Raider in the Hall of Fame, I think that that is even a bigger draw. So many thanks to Paul for joining us there. Got a couple text messages on the Sam and Ash text line at 69187, keyword R&R, about, about Kyler Murray as we played the sound bites from his little media session that he had earlier today. An impromptu media session, he decided that he had to go out there and make a statement. He had to make a statement because all us big, bad media guys are talking about him and his work ethic. Of course, I say that very sarcastically. Got a text from Big Dub Raider. Kyler sounds like a spoiled brat. We all assume you work hard to get to this point, especially Raider fans, knowing we had number two in town. Thank you, Q, for all you do. Haven't had time lately to text because of work, but I listen every day, even at the Dodger game I was at yesterday. Go Raiders. That's from Big Dub Raider. There you go. I like that. Shout out to you at the Raider or at the uh, Dodger game, bitch. That was a lot of fun. I love going to baseball games. It's a fantastic time. Got a text from the two hundred nine. He didn't have to sign it. Talking about Kyler and his contract. Can't sign, then complain. If indeed the case, I would have played played it off and say, "I'll study eight hours. Ain't got to worry about me." And that's the thing. I agree a hundred percent. It would be hard not to sign a contract like that with all that money. Knowing that your work ethic isn't very good or knowing that you have a study problem, it would still, I mean, it would be very difficult if, if I couldn't do something, but that money was in front of me. It'd be very hard for me to not sign it. You know, even if I knew in my heart, like, hey, there's going to be a problem here. I'm not going to be able to do this, whatever. I would still sign it and just say I would go for it. But to come out and complain about it afterwards when the team chose to put that in there, that's the thing. And, again, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Don't get mad at me or don't get mad at someone else because we're talking about it. it. It's it's something that the team pointed out they had to put in your contract. That's the problem. The team felt they needed to say that you have to study four hours a week, and that's not a lot of time. I literally sit at my own desk every single night after the show for longer than four hours a night. I guarantee when I get off the air at 5 o'clock, or actually it's going to be 419 today, I'll still be sitting in this seat here at my house in front of my computer working on something well past 8 p.m. I promise you. I promise you. And I ain't making $160 million guaranteed. It's not four hours is not a very long time. It's just not. One more quick text. Mailman Raider said, Q, who's been taking the punt and kick returns? I love Renfro, but I don't want him out there even with his heads-up plays on fake punts. Uh, that's guys like, uh, what, DJ Turner. Guys like, there's a lot of guys that have been taking uh, kick returns. Darius Phillips been taking kick returns. Renfro's been out there. I don't think you're going to see an a, a emphasis on Hunter Renfro. I don't think he's going to be out there doing it as much. But I do think there's going to be times that you see Renfro. I think he's too valuable in this offense with, led by Josh McDaniels to go out and do that. But he's been out there doing that. Darius Phillips, as I mentioned, he's been doing that. Kenyon Drake on kick returns, he's been out there as well. Remember, he did that in college. There's been multiple guys. I think they have plenty of dudes that can do it. It's just who are they going to get comfortable to do it. And you're right about Hunter Renfro. I still think he's got, he's got a little something in him where he's going to take one to the house. I, I keep banking on it. I think I said it like every week last week during the regular season. This is the week Hunter Renfro is going to take one to the house. I always expect him to. And I think the one that he did take to the house got called back because of a, what, penalty. And I don't think I agreed with that penalty. It was, a, it was a bad penalty, but it is what it is. 
So, yeah, there, there's plenty of guys that are doing that, uh, but but I think they'll find a guy. But most likely Hunter will probably – he'll probably do it, you know, when need be, not necessarily, you know, all the time. So thank you so much for that text. I appreciate you. 3.56 is the time. When we come back, we'll kick off hour number three of the show. It's going to be a short hour, but we'll, jo- we'll join Vinny Bonsignor, who's live at Pub365. We'll see what he's got going on there, and we'll talk about training camp. We'll talk about kick returns, pump returns. We'll do that off top to kick off hour number three. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. And it's time to go inside the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Sponsored by Embajador Tequila and presented by the Realty One Group. And Vinny Bonsignor is at Pub365. We'll go to him in a hot minute. But before we do, I want to go ahead and pass along this breaking news in the NFL. The wide receivers continue to get paid. DK Metcalf, Seattle Seahawks, signing a three-year, $72 million extension that includes $58.2 million guaranteed, including $30 million signing bonus, the highest ever for a wide receiver. Metcalf will be a free agent again at 27 years old. So there it goes. Wide receivers continue to get paid. DK Metcalf paid by the Seattle Seahawks. Anyone who thought maybe he was on his way out of Seattle, nah, not going to happen. They might not have a quarterback. But, hell, they got a wide receiver, so there's that. Now let's go out to Pub 365, talk to our guy Vinny Bonsignor. And, Vinny, what you got going on at Pub 365, brother? Well, well we're just getting started uh, at P- Pub 365 here at the Tuscany Suites. And, you know, DJ Metcalf is getting paid. He's getting fed is what he's getting done right now. And you can get fed here at the Pub 365. It's not just a bar. It's not just beers, although that's a whole other thing in itself. You like iconic burgers, the unicorn burger, the Tom Sliders, hangover burger, mushroom Swiss burger. It's all here at the Pub 365 at the Tuscany Suites. Great food, great atmosphere, great drinks. This is going to be the place to be Thursday nights during the NFL season. All Raider fans are welcome. All NFL fans are welcome. And in addition to that, we're going to have our Saturday rallies uh, here at the Pub 365. So it's going off at Pub 365 at Tuscany Suites. Nice. I like it. Well, it sounds like, and I know it is the great place to eat and drink. And, Damon, you're very familiar with Pub 365. <laughs> yes, of course. I got a friend in town who does TV in Iowa now, but he's in town. He takes me to Buffalo Wild Wings. He takes Brian Salmon to Pub 365. I swipe up on the story and I'm like, where was my invite? Wow. And I told, last night, I'm like, hey, man, I don't mind Buffalo Wild Wings, but I wish we, I would have went to 365 with you and Brian. <laughs> so that's all. So, yes, I'm dying to get back over there. So one of these days, I'm going back, you know, because I got to get the poutine for us. Nice, nice. I like that. Well, Vinny, now that DeMond's had his moment to, you know, flex his muscles and, and complain about not getting the invite, which that was a slight. So, I mean, there's that. Uh, what have you been seeing at training camp, man? What have your thoughts been on, on the way that the team and the coaching staff is just kind of putting this thing together? So many thoughts from training camp. Uh, but, Q, you asked such a great question today, Josh McDaniels, and I thought his answer, my whole story was written about what uh, Josh McDaniels said, in terms of the accountability, in terms of learning how not to lose. I know it sounds almost like a cliché. But, Q, you've been around sports so long, learning to do things that don't lead to losses is critical and far too long for too many years. The Raiders have been doing exactly that. They've been figuring out ways to lose games by being the most penalized team in the league, 
uh, turning the ball over too much, not being efficient in the red zone, not being efficient sometimes on third downs, not being able to force turnovers and turning it over themselves. It just really feels like, Q, the Raiders have put a precedent and an emphasis on making sure those are the reasons that they don't lose games. And if you're not losing games, it gives you a chance to win games. And we're starting to see that, Q, on the practice field. We'll see if it applies, uh, you know, on the actual field. But ironing that out right now by making sure penalties have to be paid for even the smallest of errors, I think that's going to lead to good things in the regular season. It feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, you, you see these guys holding themselves accountable. You see Kenyon Drake doing push-ups, you know, and him talking about it. Hey, I got to be better. I put the ball on the ground. I mean, that's that means something, right? And that's something that they can't do during the regular season. But it's so important right now in the first week of training camp to go ahead and establish that. And what was interesting, there was a, a good three-, four-day period where we didn't see anybody doing laps. They had cleaned it up after a first day where a bunch of guys did. Yep. It got a little sloppy yesterday, and pads came on for the first time. The intensity uh, level raised. The physicality raised. I, got, I think guys were playing a little bit anxious maybe because it was the first day in pads. But it, it got a little bit better today. Yeah, we saw a few guys running laps, and we saw Kenyon Drake uh, doing some push-ups and whatnot. But I think it's going to get better as the days go on, and that's the point. Penalize yourself now. Nobody wants to run, as Dylan Parham said, in this heat. But this would be a small price to pay if they can avoid doing things in games that lead to a far worse penalty. And that's where you're seeing rotations, healthy rotations from these corners and the, the safety position. I know you've been one that's been very adamant saying, hey, I'm bullish on the secondary as a problem conversation, right? You've been very adamant about that. I've been seeing some pretty good things the last couple of days from the secondary. We got to call it like we see it. And what we're seeing is a secondary, including the cornerbacks, yep. that are holding their own. And think about it. They're playing against Devontae Adams, mm -hmm. Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Demarcus Robinson, Keelan Cole, Matt Collins, guys that have been around. Right. Uh, guys have done some pretty special things in this league. And they're more than holding their own. And, yeah, it's, they, they know who they're playing against. They know the offense a little bit. Um, so we'll have to see if it translates against an opponent starting next week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I do like what I see. I like the competitiveness. I like just eyeballing the players that are out there, their size, their physicality, their skill set. So what might be still a weakness and a, an area of the field that some fans have some concerns about, and rightfully so, could end up being something that the Raiders hit pretty good on with the moves that they made this offseason. They, they definitely have guys that uh, have something to prove, right? Guys that are on one-year deals that want to show what they can do. And, and, again, as we've said it before, guys with talent, they just haven't been able to do it consistently. And so that's what everyone's looking for is that consistency. Again, we're talking with Vinny Bonsignor here on Raider Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. I had a question about – Kick return and punt return. Just had a text on the Salmon Ash text line, 69187, keyword R&R. &R. Trying to stay, uh, stay away from Hunter Renfro, right? Obviously, we know what he brings to the table, but I think he's very important in this offense. I think he's going to be used all the time. Uh, is there anyone that's standing out besides Renfro that's doing kick return or punt return that you've been noticing? 
Yeah, it's not really, to be honest with you. And I just wonder, as important as special teams are and as important as Josh McDaniels understands uh, that part of the game to be, I just wonder if you just roll the dice. You look at Julian Edelman, he returned a lot of punts, and yeah, he was a very important part of the Patriots' offense uh, overall. But that didn't stop the Patriots, Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick, uh, from making him, or not making him, but, but having him return punts because he was the best guy on the team to do that. So I do wonder if Hunter Renfro, and I guarantee you if you talk to Hunter, he's like, let's do it. I want to do it because he's right. really good at it. And as we've seen with this coaching staff, every base is covered. Um, every part of the game is emphasized, including you know, being efficient and not turning the ball over and not committing penalties. There's, as we talked about earlier, there's penalties for all that. So you just wonder, as much emphasis as they, as they put on that part of the game, if they're going to put just as much on the special teams. And if, if Hunter Renfro is the guy uh, or the best guy to return punts, I think he, you're going to see him returning punts. Yeah, Vinny, something that the players keep speaking on is how things are a little bit different than they were last year. But from what you've seen at training camp, what's different? I know that the taking laps that you haven't seen that around the NFL at all, players taking laps and holding themselves accountable. But what specific drills have you seen that they're doing differently or something that you just haven't seen the Raiders do before? Q, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I really haven't seen that one-on-one tight end safety. I know they do it a little bit or have done it a little bit, but they've done it a lot. Uh, these these last couple of days where it's just safeties defending um, tight ends. And you also have situations where it's linebacker safeties defending tight ends and wide receivers and running backs. And then, of course, the cornerbacks uh, versus the wide receivers. But it just seems like they break it up to that point quite Mm -hmm. a bit and create this competitiveness between two position groups, safeties, uh, tight ends, wide receivers, cornerbacks. And they let them be physical. It's been a physical period when those guys get after it. And Q, I, I've been watching these, this team for two years. I don't remember it being that physical or that much of an emphasis um, on those position, positional groups getting after each other. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100%, man. I, I enjoy watching those drills, right? I enjoy watching the, the running back drills when the wide receiver is trying to block a corner. I mean, those, those are fun. Those happened right in front of us yesterday. Uh, that's a lot of good stuff. Uh, I did want to ask you, Vinny, about Zamir White. We heard today from head coach Josh McDaniels that he's working on some stuff. He wants to get out there sooner rather than later. But, unfortunately, we haven't seen him. You know, a handful of uh, practices, we haven't seen him. What are your thoughts on Zamir? How far behind the eight ball is he right now? Well, Q, you know how it works in the NFL once that train leaves the uh, station. It's not going to slow down for anybody, that's for sure. So, uh, as a rookie, he already faces a challenge keeping up, but now he's fallen behind and has to try to catch back up. That's difficult sometimes for a rookie. So let's hope that he gets back on the field sooner rather than later because every day that he misses, especially on the field, I'm assuming and presuming uh, that he's in the classroom and doing all those things. And maybe he's out there and walkthroughs when they do walkthroughs. But not being able to get those NFL reps against fellow NFL players day after day after day right now, you're falling behind. And you can't fall too far behind because it's difficult at that stage for a young player to catch back up. So, yeah, he's losing time right now, and you hope again that he gets back sooner rather than later because he can't afford to fall back too far. Yeah, I mean, if he falls too far behind, he's going to – 
he's going to basically have to redshirt, right? I mean, at some point, if he doesn't get in training camp, in my opinion, and really get some good reps and some burn, it's almost like redshirting the year. And I don't mean like Malcolm Coots redshirt. I mean literally like redshirting the year. Yeah, and then at that point, you know, it, his, his chances to get on the field pretty much rely on somebody getting hurt. Um, and, you know, him being in there and getting doing the next man, next man in, I, sh- I should say. But I don't know. You know, uh, again, these are really important reps that he's missing right now. And I want to see him because I want to see what all the hype is about, too. You know, this is a guy that was a pretty heralded player at Georgia coming out of high school, obviously, was on a team that won a national championship. Uh, a lot of people are thinking that he's the future of, uh, at running back for the Raiders, and that's still very well may be the case. But I'm just anxious to see him out on the field. And here's the other thing. You would love to see him out there on Thursday, right, against the Jaguars. This is, that's an opportunity that if he doesn't get on the field um, soon, then that opportunity is going to pass him by. And that's really a big opportunity for him to actually play in a game, show what he could do in a, very, in a real football situation where guys are getting tackled to the ground. If he misses that game and any other game coming up, that's just another setback for him. All right, Vinny, got a two-parter for you. We had a fan call in earlier, and they wanted to know if you would maybe have any whereabouts, not to where the team stand in particular, but are guys allowed to oh, just yeah. stay at their homes or if they're just, you know, staying at a hotel like one staying unit? At the M. Oh, they're staying right. at the M? No, right no, now. I'm saying, like, that's the question. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. Are, are like, the team stand at the M together, or are they just allowed to just drive in from their homes? Yeah, I think the veterans, um, they're, they're at home. Uh, type of thing and I think that the uh, the rookies are holed up at a hotel a local hotel uh, so that they can it can you know make it as easy as possible for them I mean some of those guys haven't even made the team so they don't even have a place necessarily here in Las Vegas um, so they they go to a hotel a local hotel there's transportation for them getting them back and forth and that's just another way for the coaching staff and the organization really to ease that process uh, and then once they make the team then they're on their own uh, after that. They'll, they'll figure out where, where to live and all that type of stuff. But, and that's an interesting question because a lot of times in training camp, teams go away. So, right. you know, even if it's just 20 miles down the road, it's 20 miles too much to stay at home. So you have to hole up at a, a hotel or if you're on a college campus, there's dorms. Um, the the uh, Cowboys practice where the, Cal- where the Raiders used to practice in Oxnard. It's literally at a hotel. So everybody's together. It's kind of a uh, bonding experience. But, no, the Raiders here in Henderson, their veteran players get to stay at home if they want, whereas uh, the rookies and undrafted free agents and those type of guys are over at a hotel. Yeah, and then the last part that I want to ask you about a rookie, Dylan Parham, he's mentioned that he's taking snaps at everything. You know, he's playing a little center, a little guard. Do you think that he's competing with Lester Cotton for that starting right guard spot, or is his path more just for this rookie year to be a utility player that can know everything and be everywhere if needed? Uh, I think it's the latter, and I'm getting the feeling that Lester Cotton has really taken charge at right guard. I don't know if that means that he's going to take charge and keep that job. But it sure, Q, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't it seem like he's the guy at right guard right now? It does. It feels like he is. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see when he gets on the field and actually playing the game starting next Thursday against the Jaguars. That's when I think we'll start to see what, you know, what it really looks like. And here's the thing, Q. Guys like uh, Lester Cotton are a coach's dream. It's like that's almost why you get into coaching. Yes, it's wins and losses. That's how you're ultimately uh, judged and all that. Uh, but when you – as an organization, are able to get a hold of somebody the way the Raiders did in Lester Cotton as an undrafted free agent, 
Somebody went to bat for him. Somebody said, hey, I, I see something. It might not be tonight or today or tomorrow or, or this year or next year. But if we put the work in with this kid and he responds accordingly and does the work on his end, we might have something. And so to get to this point where he might be knocking on the door of a starting job, I guarantee you there's some scouts in there, some former coaches uh, that believed in him on the previous staff, uh, coaches on this year's staff that feel good about that because this is that's what coaching is all about to get a player like lester cotton to this point not everybody's a first round pick or a second round pick or a bonus baby or somebody that you know is a, a big time free agent signing sometimes you're talking about guys that come up the hard way and when you hit on those type of guys that's really satisfying no doubt about it well Vinny, we got to run we got a palm further review coming up next but real quick let everybody know where you're at we're at the Pub 365 at Tuscany Suites and Casino off of Flamingo Road here in Las Vegas. Plenty of great food, all kinds of beer. I'm looking at the beer snack right now, and I'm getting thirsty. So uh, we're here. This is where we are on Thursdays and Saturdays before home games for the Raiders. This is the Raider uh, place to come. NFL fans, come check out games on Thursdays and college games on Saturday. We talk about Raiders football and the NFL. There it is, Vinny Bonsignor at Pub365. Go check him out. That's going to do it for us. That's going to close out the show. Upon further reviews next, and then Aviator Baseball. This is Radio Nation Radio 920.